Welcome and thanks for listening to another episode of Zero Cafe. Today I speak with Marta Florentina Saratovic, data analyst at Pandora. And one of the things we'll be talking about is the hot topic of the moment, namely intelligent tracking protection. My name is Gide Janssen and welcome to Zero Cafe, the podcast where I show you the behind the scenes of optimization teams and talk with their specialists about data and human-driven optimization and implementing a culture of experimentation and validation. This episode of Zero Cafe is made possible by our partners Online Dialogue, Sidespect, Content Square and Convert.com. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 9. So, Marta, welcome and great talking to you again. Could you start off by giving us a quick introduction to your background and how you started out with optimization? A little bit about myself. Well, uh, I'm a uh, Polish expat. I'm living in Copenhagen. I've been here for the last nine years. Um, beforehand, I've been traveling around uh, Europe and uh, spent some time in Middle East um, doing everything from that that. It was contained previously in the term digital marketing, um, trying to get some experience as a student, first in uh, Sevilla, in Spain, and then I was posted for half a year um, in Poland. So uh, I would like to think about myself as an analyst with uh, international experience. Um, right, so on a daily basis, I'm working as a... Um, Mm, digital analyst and um, data activation um, manager. Beforehand, I was uh, based in strictly um, analytics agency that was based on data um, from from the start to the to an end. Basically, yep. all the um, machine learning and and um, data analytics departments were supporting um, conversion rate optimization PPC and um, SEO departments. So that was the core of the business. While now um, working mostly with uh, media agencies um, and supporting them with data in order to optimize their media buying efforts. Okay. And um, what's the rest for the, of the company do? What, what kind of services do you provide? Um, so uh, that's everything in terms of media. So we start with uh, traditional media, so uh, uh, they actually um, book uh, advert time and radio and TV, but that's only the traditional part that's being scaled down now, because obviously uh, most of the clients would like to advertise online. Um, so there is a department that's doing the media buying on social media and uh, driving a lot of traffic into the, the sites. Um, there is also a couple of departments that do um, uh, pool media strategies, so pool marketing strategies, meaning that they would do um, optimization of um, search results as well as um, some uh, paid search um, ads in order to pull users into the websites. Um, there is what actually is interesting is that the um, conversion rate optimization department does not exist as a department in here, but each of the media agency has a conversion rate specialist working and dedicated for that specific department. Okay. So, for example, what we do in, in web analytics department is that um, we work with uh, implementation of the, the KPI strategies and, and then tracking, and uh, focus on um, qualitative uh, 
qualitative, no, obviously quantitative data um, in order to provide some optimization insights. Um, very recently, I teamed up um, with um, a, with a qualitative uh, person, so to speak, from one of the media agencies, and uh, we worked together on aligning our approaches, so combining data uh, with uh, hypothesis making as well as uh, pulling quite a lot of web analytics into analyzing A-B tests. Um, so, so that's what we are actually planning now. And um, uh, we've done a couple of features together where, um, where the clients were super interested in this combined approach. Because what we would normally see is that the conversion rate optimization specialists are rather on the kind of softer side of the spectrum. Um, they're not specifically data-driven. Some of the decisions might be actually uh, um, taken based on, on gut feeling or just the perception of what actually looks good and, and should be um, and should be done in a certain way in order to, to optimize user clicking on a specific button, a click-through rate or a final conversion if it's an e-commerce store or be yep. a transaction. Um, so uh, we try to combine those two approaches um, and, and actually use um, mostly e-commerce data um, and, and visualizing this e-commerce data to be able to find what might be wrong um, in an online store. And then and based on the data that I would prepare, she would then use it um, into their, her hypothesis uh, building. Yeah, th those challenges sound very familiar. <laughs> mm, yeah, you're right. So, um, well, I would say that um, that's the most optimal result is actually teaming up across different departments and, you know, building conversion rate optimization teams from uh, from employees that present uh, that represent different approach to the same problem. Um, that's what I find more useful um, than just uh, yeah. And just building hypothesis based on on gut feeling. Uh, yeah, we need to we need to remember that not all users are uh, are us, basically. So um, we might have completely different perception, especially as digital specialists, yeah. um, than um, people who've never been on a specific site. They they don't know what it's for. Uh, they are not sure of what is the purpose of it. Um, so yeah. So we need to remember about the user at the very end. That's, exactly. that's how we actually teamed up uh, there. Uh, so this um, conversion rate optimization specialist, her focus is on the user. And obviously me being um, data analyst, my focus is also on the user. Was there a specific reason that you moved to uh, to Denmark? Was it the, uh, is the industry different there? Well, uh, so before I actually moved to Denmark, uh, I moved here to do the studies because, um, well, what to say, maybe the, the education system in Poland that's based on learning things by heart is not the best if you really like to understand stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, the practical approach of, um, of education uh, to education in Denmark was something that caught my attention. Um, so, yeah, I uh, packed my uh, suitcase and then uh, hopped on, uh, on the board of a plane and then I arrived in Denmark. <laughs> okay. And, and um, I'm here 
almost ever since. I had a couple of periods when I was traveling around Europe and, and uh, you know, uh, gaining some experience in here and also in in Dubai during this uh, during this time that I'm here. Mm-hmm. Um, but but ultimately, it was just the way that people learn stuff in here that um, that caught my attention and made me move. Uh, yeah, and I think uh, culture-wise, uh, it's it's very similar uh, to the Netherlands. Also, mm-hmm. uh, how people uh, buy online and uh, regarding regulations, I think. Uh, but you said um, um, before we started recording, you said there there are quite some differences still between Denmark and the Netherlands, right? In in terms of zero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, what I can say is that every talk during the analytics. Uh, a digital analytics congress last week had some elements in conversion of conversion rate optimization as if uh, a dutch way would be uh focus on the first party data and whatever we can gather on the website and then try to gain regain control over our own channel or our own platforms in order to make them uh the most you know optimized towards the users while, uh, as I see it, uh, the recent trends in Denmark are rather combining different sources of data in order to um, provide better um, usability across the whole journey. Uh, there is a big focus on combining offline and online data or uh, conversions in store, so those offline conversions with online behavior. So um, there is a different approach to what data is actually being used. And as I see it, it impacts how we do conversion rate optimization. Uh, yeah, you just mm-hmm. mentioned you were a speaker there. Uh, and you did a session on how to cope with intelligent intelligent tracking prevention. Um, mm-hmm. And th- that seems right. to be quite a hot topic uh, nowadays and it's very important. Can you, can you explain for those uh, that haven't um, encountered ITP yet, uh, what it is and, and why it's important? <clears throat> well, that, that's uh, that, that's a lot of, uh, <laughs> of new information. Well, uh, as I like to think about it, it all started with uh, a standard war. So uh, a standard war would be a competition for market dominance or survival between um, the two companies that produce a particular type of technology. And um, that's one thing. And another thing is that it started because, in my opinion at least, Apple um, was so drawn into designing and manufacturing devices that um, they kind of slept through this whole phase where um, where Amazon or Google uh, or Facebook started to actually capitalize on on providing platforms for advertising and using data for that. So these two factors um, kind of shaped how the industry turned with Apple uh, just, you know, wanting to basically end the dominance of Google and Facebook and Amazon saying, well, if uh, you guys build your whole empires on um, advertising cookies and analytics cookies, then we will make sure that one third of the market that's using our browser, um, that you cannot capitalize on those people who are using our browsers. So from one point, it is standard war. And for, from another point of view, 
it's just, you know, those four digital giants trying to outmaneuver each other. So that was something that um, that, that shaped um, recent, uh, yeah, a recent landscape. Sidespect biedt wereldwijd een unieke AB-testing, personalisatie en product recommendation oplossing. Sidespect werkt server-side, dus zonder tags of scripts, waardoor een optimale performance gegarandeerd is. De Sidespect-oplossing elimineert vertragingen en kans op flikkereffecten. Tevens zorgt deze aanpak ervoor dat de huidige en toekomstige browser security regels, zoals ITP en ETP, geen impact hebben op het AB-testen en personaliseren met Sidespect. Voor meer informatie hierover ga je naar sidespect.com. And, and those, gi- those four giants being uh, Google, Apple, um, Firefox or, or slash Mozilla um, and uh, Microsoft. Yeah, well, that, 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 uh, that, is, that is to be said within, within the browsers. I mean, uh, the whole battle is about the browsers, but I believe that the, the motivation uh, towards you know, limiting tracking and data sharing opportunities it extends far beyond who's uh, who's on uh, who's has who has the biggest market share uh, within browsers, because um, ultimately what I think happened is that uh, Apple was, as I said, so drawn into building devices, the physical devices, that they disregarded the importance of data, and now they woke up and and uh, you know got to know that they uh, they are getting outmaneuvered. Yeah. Um, so, so the way that they would like to put a strain into, you know, uh, Google and Facebook capitalizing on them providing the devices would be uh, just to put an end to where the revenue streams are being driven from, which means from online advertising and use of data. Yeah. And by, by the way, uh, looking at the browser market share, I just uh, pulled up some numbers from uh, StatCounter. Uh, and those those numbers are, are very stable if I look at it. Uh, it's, those numbers are mm-hmm. from September yeah. last year until September this year. And it's basically around 55% Chrome, uh, 26% Safari, um, and then actually uh, Samsung uh, browsers. Uh, so mobile browsers, I, I would assume, and then 5% Firefox, uh, and then uh, right. 4.5% Edge, and uh, around 3% uh, Internet Explorer. So it's mainly right. mainly Chrome and Safari that are, are the dominant players here in the Netherlands. Yeah, we have our twenty five percent of market share of, of Safari, which is an Apple browser. So yeah. what what they've actually done is that they removed one fourth of the market from uh, from uh, you know being able to be advertised to by Google and Facebook. Um, so so what uh, actually Apple has done is that they've um, at the beginning, they limited the advertising cookies, um, and then they removed them completely. So right now, what um, when you you know nobody's being able to target you on uh, a Safari browser uh, if you are on uh, let's say um, Google.com or if you uh, are uh, reading the news. Nobody who's advertising uh, through. Google's channels from through Google's platforms is able to target you because your browser does not allow any advertising cookies to be set. And, you know, me working in a media agency that produces some kind of a challenge where uh, we have a smaller reach, um, 
of our campaigns just because those users are denying cookies by default. Um, but obviously there are ways to circumvent that. But on the other hand, being an analyst and getting to know that the first party cookies are also capped within 24 hours, it means that the cookie will expire after 24 hours uh, since the date uh, it's been set. So that would mean if you would come back to my website more than 24 hours, uh, within more than 24 hours, I'll not be able to recognize that you're the same user. And um, I don't really care about the advertising cookies. I care about the first party <laughs> cookies that are screwing up my traffic. Uh, because ultimately then uh, I'm not even able to report on, on the channel split because a single user might have one conversion, but suddenly you would have two sessions and it would be two users. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm this kind of person that really likes order in data and really cares about data quality. Yeah. So this kind of ruins uh, my whole world. Yeah, I, I think many, many CRO specialists uh, will relate to that uh, statement. <laughs> we like yeah. to have order in our data. Yeah. So um, in May 2019, this, this capping of uh, first-party cookies been introduced by Safari. And what happened next in September is that um, Firefox actually followed through and they um, capped all third-party cookies by default. So you're not even able to advertise to those people who are using Safari now. Um, there were some temporary solutions. People... Um, Many many specialists actually were recommending to hide the solution uh, to hide the cookies from from this <clears throat> algorithm that was uh, eradicating cookies. Um, the easiest solution was just a piece of a code um, that appends your cookies to a local storage. But then uh, at the end of September, what Safari is done, they actually uh, disabled this function of being able to store anything in the local storage. Um, I'm not sure that's what they actually done, but you're not able to store your cookies there because they can be accessed in there by uh, the cookie scraping algorithm. Yeah. So, um, well, we've got a problem. I need to say that. Yeah. So as, as, a, as a CRO specialist uh, working mm -hmm. for, an, for an agency or or on the, if you're on the working on the merchant side, um, how can you figure out how big this problem is for you? How, how much data you are missing? Right. So um, I would actually recommend to do a couple of analysis. First of all, um, Apple products are really popular in Denmark. Um, if you're based in another European country, that might be a completely different. But, but what we see in Denmark, that's uh, 40 to 60 percent of um, all the browsers are based in Apple devices. So uh, you can have a happy fair traffic consisting of Chrome and probably Opera and Samsung and Internet Explorer, while the other half is Safari. So you need to look at the split of um, different browsers you have. And second of all, I would actually look into if the um, Safari and, um, and Firefox browsers, what type of browsers, what versions are those? Because if your users are uh, still using very old versions of Safari, then your traffic should not be impacted. But um, with uh, uh, version 12.1, this actually has been rolled out and we've seen from mid-May, uh, three quarters of, of all Safari traffic being actually from the impacted browsers. 
uh, from from the impacted versions. Yeah. Um, then what you could do is you could see a trend line of how big of a percentage of your of all your sessions are the new sessions. And then if you draw a, a linear trend line on the percentage of new sessions, um, what it normally would uh, show for the clients in Denmark that in January, maybe 30 to 40% of uh, all sessions um, from, from the impacted browsers, that it was about 30% of new users. Right now in September, what we see it's about 50%. And I'm not really sure that this is because there's uh, more new users being targeted by our campaigns. I would rather say that it's because they come from these impacted versions of these impacted browsers and yeah. they're just screwing up my data. Exactly. Um, then what you could also do is um, you could look into um, the split of the transactions. Um, so first of all, you do two segments. One segment of impacted browsers and another segment of those browsers that were not impacted. And then um, go to your e-commerce report, uh, see how this performs for new and existing users. And then with your two segments applied, you'll be able to actually see um, what's the difference in between uh, new visitors coming from these impacted browsers and non-impacted. Yep. Because that's, uh, well that would actually tell you that uh, um, that you cannot really trust your transactions. I mean, at the end, there will be just one transaction yeah. that occurred, but uh, your conversion rate would not be. Yeah, and I guess that that's also quite dependent on, on your type of business, right? If you're selling something that most people buy within mm -hmm. 24 hours, um, then you should be relatively okay. Um, but if yeah. people take a week or longer, well, if they take it longer than a day, then you have a problem. Um, yeah, and then people definitely. start, well, your, your data starts to be uh, screwed up. Yeah, I mean, if it's just grocery shopping, then you are able to make a decision of which cucumber to buy within 24 hours. But any business that's um, selling cars or selling apartments or generating leads for uh, yep. more expensive type of services, I would assume that those... Uh, decisions take longer to make than buying a cucumber. Yep. So those businesses will naturally be more impacted. Exactly. And, and, and once we are on this point that maybe it's time to stop uh, calling conversion rate optimization conversion rate optimization because as we know, <laughs> yeah. the rate is actually based on a session that now we basically cannot trust. So maybe we should call it just conversion optimization. Online Dialog is al 10 jaar een toonaangevend CRO-bureau waar mensen, kwaliteit en kennisoverdracht centraal staan. Ze zijn een specialist omdat ze zich alleen richten op optimalisatie en klantgedrag. Het team zorgt voor online groei en waardevolle inzichten in je bezoekers en optimaliseren samen met jou de verschillende onderdelen van je CRO-programma zoals websites, salesfunnels en customer journeys. Voor meer info ga je naar onlinedialog.nl Yeah, or uh, there are a lot of uh, proposed terms, I think, that are um, uh, trying mm -hmm. to improve on this. Uh, but it's, it's such a well-known term by now, and it's really hard to change, mm -hmm. I guess. <laughs> yeah, a lot, of, a lot of people suggested that we should change the name of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I also uh, usually try to uh, explain to people that it's not, about, it's not about a single KPI that we are going for. 
and it's, yeah, it's more about the mindset of a company of running experiments validating the changes that you mm -hmm. make and uh, looking at the whole customer journey and not just uh, the conversion rate of uh, people buying something online and mm. then ignoring everything else but yeah there's definitely there's definitely a, a branding slash marketing challenge that we have as an industry mm. Um, yeah, yeah. You, you also spoke about, uh, so, okay, now we know what the problem is and we know uh, uh, and mm -hmm. somehow how to figure out how big the problem is for, for your own shop uh, specifically. Um, so what, what can you do? I think uh, during your uh, session, you spoke about uh, two types of optimization, right? Optimizing reach and optimizing performance. Um, yeah. So let's talk about optimizing reach first. Right. So what we can do... Uh, and it can be a very radical thing to do, is that if we don't want to drain our marketing budget on trying to reach people that we cannot reach anymore, let's just exclude them. If we're running any type of a campaign in Google Ads or um, uh, DB360 ad form, uh, we should just exclude Safari and Firefox browsers from, from targeting. I know that it might be painful and, and if getting the wider reach uh, the widest week possible is on top of your marketing strategy, then it might be painful and maybe it's time to rethink the strategy. Yeah, and, and, and if other browsers follow suit, um, then you might have a big problem in the near future, right? If, if all follow, then... But I would not assume that this is actually going to happen until we have another solution in place. Okay. Um, obviously, what... what we should be doing for a number of years now and uh, is starting to is gathering user IDs um build because well we can we could not we will not be able to optimize any business in the future so to speak if we are not able to identify our users if our business we want to make business online but if our business that does not provide value for which a customer would like to pay and thus being able to register and log in, then we uh, in the future won't be able to, to recognize those users anymore and we won't be able to target them. Um, it means that we need to adapt the, the marketing strategies and sometimes we need to also adapt the way that we actually are running business. Um, aside of um, user IDs, it might be worth looking into building an app. Um, because the SDKs are not based on cookies, they are based on device ID. Because ultimately, what, what do you do when you download an app? You use your own account on Google or Apple and your own device in order to download this app. And then um, the data is actually being tied to your device. And you cannot change the device ID as far as I'm concerned. Um, so being able to gather device IDs of our users will also bring us some opportunities to target the, uh, them based upon those device IDs. Um, obviously, that's a big uh, technical change and, well, sometimes it just doesn't make sense to have an app, but maybe it's time to reconsider um, and then um, start tracking user IDs and device IDs. Um, what you could also what you could also do with this data is that um, there is a couple of solutions, technical solutions that are based on stitching device IDs and user IDs. Yeah, let's take a scenario that I'm the same user uh, with my login credential to an online store, and I'm using 
my account on three different devices. Uh, I usually log in on my desktop. Um, I log in on my phone and I'm logging on my tablet. And then I also might have another phone that I use for work, but sometimes I actually look at the online store on my work phone as well. And that will give us the four, four different devices, but because I'm logged in with the same account, that will give me just one user ID. Employing this data in, in any type of database would then um, give you an opportunity to stitch those four devices to a single user. Uh, that will give you some insights about my behavior. Maybe I'm using the phone in the morning and maybe using desktop in the afternoon. And also, based on which device I'm using at what time, that will give you some targeting um, ideas. Maybe it will be better to uh, push a display banner to me based on a device ID on my phone when you'd know that I added stuff to the cart but did not convert. And maybe at uh, five o'clock in the afternoon, I'm actually on uh, doing my daily commute back to home. So maybe it's a great time to actually make a purchase. So rethinking our marketing strategies with those device IDs and, and, and user IDs uh, would actually be needed to, to find a suitable solution for, for the future. Yeah. Obviously, if we are talking about the technical uh, solutions the, and, and not necessarily adapting our whole business. Um, the only viable solution for now, especially if we have multiple domains, is um, storing cookies uh, server-side. And I know that there are many concerns uh, about if it's uh, GDPR compliant, but I would assume that as long as we don't have a lawsuit against a company who's actually storing cookies server-side, then we would not know if this is actually a legitimate interest of a company to preserve the cookies yeah. or if it's actually um, you know, impacting um, the rights of the, uh, of the data subject. Okay. And, uh, but yeah, for, for uh, the setting those, those cross-domain tracking or those user ID IDs, uh, it does require clients to either uh, log in or at least they have, need to have some continuous flow of data, right? Right. Uh, and, and about that, I've always been a fan of actually just having single Google Analytics property that would aggregate all the traffic. Yeah. I know that maybe um, a threshold is a bit too low if uh, you're running an online business across many, for example, European countries, that it, the, the threshold and the, the hit quota might be too low to actually be able to you know, send the data to one place. But ultimately what it does is that it says the same cookie ID, because it's still based on cookies, but it says it sets the same cookie ID uh, across different domains and across different devices. So that, uh, that was always my preferred way. Um, now, if we consider um, Google's environment and the way that they've handled um, merging up and, and web data, this is actually being done with the new type of property. It's been live since August in beta. And over there, you can actually um, target your Firebase project to send data to this property, as well as from Google Tag Manager, send your data uh, your website data the same property. And the stitching, um, I need to emphasize that it's still in beta, in, in beta, but the stitching that's being done in there is being done basically on device IDs and user IDs. 
Um, there is another solution provided by Tilium. Um, in audience stream, you're able um, to determine what is the user identifier and then being able to stitch different sessions uh, containing different cookies together based on this um, identifier. And that's called profile stitching within audience stream. And this solution has been in place for quite some time. Obviously, if, uh, they are also able to gather information from the app. So if you're sending device ID, that can um, also form on one of the uh, yeah. stitching points. And do we know how well that works? Are there any downsides or any drawbacks uh, of that? Well, the, any drawback I can actually see because uh, the, the, the Google's uh, solution is still in, in beta. They advise um, the users, especially, and, and like the end users, the companies to actually start, you know, uh, building on this feature and, and um, they've been uh, working on developing the Firebase tracking for quite some time now. So that's been on a timeline, but I would say that if it's still in beta, it's not ready yet. I assume that they need to gain some um, critical mass of users uh, before their algorithms that are actually stationed that yeah. are able to, you know, certify that this is 100% foolproof. Okay. Um, while the, the Tilium solution has been in place for, for a couple of years now, and um, I've, I've actually set it up once, I've seen it working, it's pretty awesome. Um, ultimately, they're also pretty agnostic, so we could point also your Google Analytics data over there and collect data through Firebase into, into audience stream, um, Tilium's audience stream, and that would work on the same principle. Okay. Um, so it depends on the marketing landscape because on the on the market stack as well because it depends what preferred vendor you've got. So you might be uh, patchwork of different systems, um, and then you like a, a vendor that's doing the stitching to be as agnostic as possible. While if you're 100% uh, drawn into Google stack, then it's best to just stay within Google stack start stitching uh, your device IDs and user IDs now, and then leverage it later on. Werk je aan een front-end AB-test en heb je ook last van de bekende flikkeringen in je variaties? Dit kan natuurlijk je testresultaten beïnvloeden en een positief testresultaat neutraliseren. Probeer Convert.com's AB-testing software die Smart Insert technologie gebruikt en die flikkeringen voorkomt. Vijf keer snellere support via 24-7 chat, de helft goedkoper en het bedrijf is daarnaast maar liefst 15 keer carbon positive. Je doet dus jezelf, je bedrijf en de volgende generatie een plezier door hun website convert.com slash sneller eens te bezoeken. Ja, yeah, en yeah, I guess uh, most of us are uh, stuck in the Google stack. <laughs> I think that's, uh, that's what most of us are, are, are using and most of the clients at least are using. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so that's that's about optimizing reach. And then the second part, optimizing performance. Right. So given that we have 24 hours to make people convert, um, let's find out what prevents them from converting. Or let's eliminate that friction as fast as possible. And um, yeah, later on, let's hope for the best. <laughs> Maybe... Uh, People usually like conversion rate optimization. They also always focus on success. We need to optimize our conversion rate. We need to 
you know, decrease the bounce rate, increase the engagement. But at the very end, maybe it's a very small, annoying detail that's preventing users from from actually converting. Um, so uh, back on uh, Measure Camp in May um, in Rome, uh, one of uh, one of the conversion rates slash web analytics specialist uh, from Finland was present. Uh, his name is Mikko. And he actually outlined this couple of metrics that you can use um, to measure how annoyed or irritated your users are. Yeah. So, for example, he suggested measuring um, number of clicks per page view. And I know it's from, from my own experience, when I'm super annoyed, I will just try to make the website respond and I will click around many times repeatedly and be super angry. And um, then using this metric together with the, the, the page views, uh, the page reports in Google Analytics, we can actually see that maybe some page is simply not responsive or maybe the user just cannot click on proceed to checkout because the feature is not responsive, there is no link under yeah. it. It might be a very simple thing that's super annoying and, and, and it might have a tremendous effect on just fixing this, pinpointing those really annoying thing and then fixing this specific thing. Um, I remember uh, I downloaded an app when I was visiting my parents in Warsaw. We were supposed to go on um, on a trip on the bikes, on city bikes. Um, but the way that uh, the, the app was scaled did not fit my uh, crappy Chinese phone. So I was not able to actually fill out my details. Okay. And we spent... Uh, we spent around two hours them wait them waiting for me like my whole family on bikes like can we go now and me not being able to actually you know register <laughs> to be able to yeah. pick the city bike up um so just measuring this number of you know frustrated annoyed clicks uh on on a screen view or a page view um uh, could give us uh, a lot of insights um then what Miko also suggested is that um, we can also track the confusion of, of uh, our users. So um, just dividing the amount of uh, page views by unique page views would give us the confusion rate. It will show us if our users are uh, within a single session going back and forth again, or maybe a specific page does not provide them with the information that they need, or uh, they just simply are not able to find a specific information they want. Um, a good example for a commercial client would be um, that scrolling through a page where you're supposed to fill out something actually scrolls your um, uh, what, what do you call it? Scroll uh, scrolls your form as well, so that you just cannot catch it because it's just moving around as you scroll, so to speak. And it's also super annoying. And then this user would be not able to find a form to fill out, for example, the address, and would be walking back and forth within the, the checkout funnel and not being able to provide the address. Yep. That's obviously a very, uh, you know, um, <laughs> enlarged case of what can be wrong, but... Uh, if uh, a thing like that exists, that will have tremendous effects on the conversion rate at the very end. I think those are great tips, right? And uh, I know some of the analytics tools, um, 
Yeah, they also uh, try to uh, to measure um, annoyance and confusion. I think those are particularly um, uh, fun, well, fun, <laughs> useful things to to be <laughs> tracking. And uh, uh, the way you set them up, uh, I think those are very useful and easy to easy to set up, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, very too useful to uh, to detect pages uh, or yeah. users that are um, getting frustrated easily. Yeah, there is also another thing because uh, sometimes we know that there's something wrong with our checkout, mm-hmm. but maybe if we work on the client side, we're not able to get resources. We would be normally called off saying, "Well, the sales are flowing in, so you ain't fixing something that's not broken." Um, or maybe we're not going to give you our precious developers time to figure out what is broken. So what I would normally suggest is to um, track what we call a missed revenue. So normally with the e-commerce tracking, we have our revenue, but maybe if we also uh, track the full price of products in checkout across the whole checkout flow and then subtract that, from the total revenue or the other way around. And we would know how much revenue we actually missed. And on the next meeting where we had to fight for resources with another department and we are a conversion rate optimization specialist, we can just present this one number per month or per week saying that we are losing thousands of euros just because you're not uh, willing to give us assistance of uh, developers to find out what's wrong. So we could actually use this list revenue metric as a form of, you know, internal buy-in. And um, I like this idea very much. I think it's tremendous because it actually would show everyone that our preconception of our knowing that something is wrong can actually be quantified in a way that speaks out to top management very well because we are just talking about money that we're never going to be able to earn. Exactly. And I think that's a great thing that we can do in general with uh, conversion optimization, right? If we if we run experiments and uh, we see the, the difference that it makes, but then it's maybe not implemented, uh, we can just uh, present to mm-hmm. the board uh, or whoever is in charge uh, saying, okay, we're losing this amount of money every month because you cannot implement mm-hmm. it or you won't implement it. Uh, it's up to you. Right. It's fine. Yeah. but uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, It's fine. It's your choice. Yeah. But um, yeah. Also for, yeah, as you said, for missing implementation. Uh, yeah. I know that sometimes, you know, development projects, they get stalled, they get stalled along the way and uh, it takes for ages to actually have something implemented or new websites rolled out and, and, um, you know, tracking of missed revenue also provides this sense of urgency, saying yep. that we have to fix it as fast as possible, because that's uh, a big drain on, of our budget. Yeah, exactly. Especially if you're buying a lot of traffic that's not being able to go through. Um, yeah. So, so if you're combining this rich and performance um, strategies together and um, you, you're buying crazy amounts of traffic, it's super expensive, you send them through this checkout funnel, but they are dropping, you know, along the way, then just being able to recalculate that um, into a missed revenue would be, um, you know, a pretty um, <clears throat> a pretty big thing. Yeah. So, so would it be like a, a standard dashboard that you usually set up to, to show missed revenue or...? 
Yeah, well, uh, what I would normally choose that I'm a big fan of dashboards, especially if we if we want to achieve something. Um, and uh, what I would normally do is I would fire a goal per a checkout step or per um, per e-commerce action in separate uh, Google Analytics view. Um, then I would send this data from this specific. Uh, event tracking slash goal slash e-commerce tracking view into data studio and I would recalculate uh, the drop-off rates in between um, different steps of a checkout funnel or just the whole e-commerce flow. And doing that in, in data studio and based on the goals allow us for uh, you know segmenting that data with more dimensions and we can obviously send our um, missed revenue on with each of the steps. Yeah. Uh, and and that's I find it it's a it sends a pretty powerful message because then we'll be able to allocate on which step are we actually losing the most of revenue and uh, yeah. kind of pinpoint maybe there is a specific device that's responsible for that or um, maybe there is a specific channel um, responsible for that. And then we can use all of our custom dimensions as well. So yeah, and, and but but for those uh, those uh, dashboards uh, for for missed revenue, uh, usually you need to do some some assumptions for that, right? Like uh, the, like external factors staying the same, um, and and when you implement it, it might not actually bring the revenue that you uh, that you predicted. Uh, so how do you handle that mm -hmm. internally? Um, and like like um, yeah, managing expectations on that front. Well, and then that's the problem because then we need to start hypothesizing because we might know that something is wrong, but we might not be sure what exactly is yeah. wrong. And uh, that's where, um, you know, uh, more humane people would actually step in, like my conversion rate optimization colleague. Um, and, and we would look into data together and then uh, we would also debug the, the checkout flow probably or the whole e-commerce setup. Yeah. Uh, on site um, and, and you know what's the most interesting is uh, you could also support this data in a way that you sit with someone who'd never been on a page and then you just ask them to make a purchase of a product and then you uh, set up a screen recording on that and uh, when you're sitting next to the person you might actually experience what it's like to do it for the first time yeah. because if you if you would just set up screen recording uh, with Hotjar then you don't know if these people are first time there do they maybe browse from different device are they acquainted with the brand or not so doing these um, peer to peer reviews it's actually very valuable and that can support your your analysis along the way I uh, think that's a great note to uh, to end our uh, recording. Uh, thanks so mm -hmm. much, uh, Marta. I think that's a lot of uh, mm -hmm. uh, yeah food for thought for us uh, to think about in uh, in the zero industry. Um, yeah, maybe uh, maybe in a in a couple of uh, well, maybe months, but probably years, we can fi figure out a better way to uh, to call our industry uh, besides uh, zero. Mm -hmm. <laughs> thanks yeah, so much. It'll be interesting. Yes, you're very welcome, and thank you, thank you for the invitation as well. You're welcome, and uh, talk to you soon. Perfect, thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Marta, thank you so much for the interview, and talk to you soon.
This was season 2 episode 9 of Zero Cafe with Marta Florentina Saratovic from Pandora and as always the show notes can be found on our website zero.cafe. This podcast is currently still mainly in Dutch but if you're interested in our English episodes please go to zero.cafe slash English to see an overview of our English episodes and to subscribe to get notified about upcoming English episodes. If you're interested in promoting your products or services to the best Zero podcast listeners in the world, please take a look at zero.cafe slash partner to see how we can collaborate. Next week, another Dutch episode where I talk to Joris Brion, founder and CEO of Dexter Agency, and we talk about how he is running a remote optimization agency, and we talk about how to sell Zero to clients. Talk to you then, and always be optimizing. <laughs>